faith, family, freedom. It all still matters here. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. A lot of times we know things that we may not actually know. Let me explain. Because we go into a narrative that says, you know what, younger generations, especially those who are going through the public education system, we just kind of assume that they are all increasingly on the left. But there's some new evidence that indicates that there might be a split between male and female when it comes to conservative and liberal. What does it mean to the future of the country? I'm now joined by Brad Wilcox. He is a sociologist at the University of Virginia, among other things, including a role with the Institute for Family Studies. Brad, thanks for being on the program here, because when I saw you tweeting about this, it really surprised me because we just kind of assume every generation, at least when they're younger, is more liberal than the previous one. And we know that there is a sharp turn to the left with younger voters in particular. But what is the actual survey or data points actually tell us right now? Yeah, Mike, I think that was certainly my assumption as well. Um, but there's a new book out by Jean Twenge, the psychologist called Generations. And in that book, she's got a, a figure at the back that um, is just, I mean, just sort of jaw-dropping, kind of indicating that among high school seniors in the U.S., kind of, you know, from the early 1980s to, you know, around 2014, things kind of heading in a somewhat left direction for high school seniors in the U.S. for boys and girls. Um, But then starting around 2014, give or take, there's just a huge divergence where the 12th grade boys are much more likely to self-identify as conservative and the 12th grade girls are much more likely to identify as liberal. So this this is a growing gender divide. We see this in a lot of other surveys of late as well, Mike. So what happened in that time period? I mean, I'm I'm assuming from the way you set up the answer that both boys and girls were tending to trend to the left. And then at that time period, a split happened. And if that's the case, if I'm accurate about that, what changed? Well, you know, I think we're still figuring this out, Mike. But one of the things that's obviously played a big role in all this is the smartphone. And, you know, this is the the time frame when the sort of um, the prevalence, the use of the, the importance of social media just, you know, it takes off basically. And I think um, what's happened is that social media is kind of pushing um, a lot of young women in a more liberal, progressive, you know, direction um, in this time frame. And I think a lot of young males kind of feel like a lot of the sort of messaging and, you know, things that they're being kind of described as, you know, aren't necessarily all that fair to them um, and or, you know, good for them, uh, appealing to them, attractive to them. And, you know, they've been heading in often, you know, in a different direction. Um, More precisely than Mike, we have this article written by the journalist Matthew Iglesias called The Great Awakening, you know, and he's describing how around 2014, um, what we see in the, in the, public discourse, especially online, social media, is hyper-progressive on issues related to gender, race, and, you know, other issues now, sort of sexuality, et cetera. 
Um, and I think what happens is that this discourse, again, pushes young women in the leftward direction, but a lot of young guys don't like what they're hearing and seeing. Um, and especially because often I think, you know, young men are kind of painted in a pretty negative light in this more, you know, progressive, you know, discourse. And so they gravitate in a more conservative direction. Do we have enough time between that split in 2014 ish to know whether that, whether or not that has stuck with both the men and the women who would now be in their mid late twenties? You know, frankly, I think we're still kind of figuring this all out. I'm just saying what's striking about this trend is it's not just the United States. Mm. Um, a colleague, you know, just say, you know, told me recently he's seen the same trend in Canada. As I mentioned earlier, he's seen the same trend in South Korea. So I think, um, you know, I think this is kind of more of a, a, a broad scale phenomenon playing out in much of the developed world, potentially. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, right? But I just think that we could be seeing this play out. And I think one other kind of important piece here too, and this is not a, this is not a good story, is that, you know, a lot of young women are flourishing in school, in high school, in college, um, and even in the labor force as 20-somethings. And a lot of their male peers are floundering. Um, they're not doing well. We, we see that the vast majority of kids in the top 10% of our high schools are girls, um, and the vast majority of kids in the bottom 10% are boys. So I think sort of what's happening here is that boys kind of feel put upon. They feel like, you know, the girls are getting all the, you know, all of the plaudits in school and college and, um, this certainly was a big factor in the South Korean story, and there's a resentment there um, that is fueling a lot of negative feelings among young men towards young women. Um, and that is then kind of expressed in a more conservative orientation, too. So this is, you know, this is a very complicated thing. But I just think we can't we can't sort of lose sight of the way in which the sort of um, floundering fortunes of young males have made them less inclined to embrace a progressive worldview. We're visiting with uh, Professor Brad Wilcox, who is with the University of Virginia and also with the Institute for Family Studies. I've got a few minutes left here, Brad. So when you look at this, there's obviously a, a possible political effect if this is what sticks. But But more importantly, let me ask about the cultural aspects of that. Everything from I mean, we're talking about values-based and we're talking about progressive or conservative. So what does this mean for the future of families, for relationships? I mean, what could this mean for our culture? Yeah, I think short-term bad news. I mean, I think, you know, um, I, I deal with a lot of students at the University of Virginia and there's just, uh, I think, um, a real inability for a bunch of reasons, including ideology, the thing we've been just talking about, Um where young adults today are just having difficulty, you know, dating, mating, marrying, you know, and and because we are social animals, um, that's that's terrible news. I mean, we're 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 meant to, you know, get married, have kids, be part of families, you know, from one generation to the next. And we're kind of living in a culture where all that's so difficult for young adults today. And this ideological divide is just sort of adding fuel on the anti-family fire, you know, in our culture today. So if you're talking to the parents of young people at this point, is there any advice to say, okay, here's the reality of what's happening in our culture. 
here are the things you should pre- prepare for to be successful, whether it's career, academically, or in a family life. Is there anything that younger people can do to sort of brace themselves to navigate this aspect of a changing culture? Yeah, I think for um, you know parents, what I would say is number one, don't prioritize you know um, education and work for your kids to be to the exclusion of anything else. Like I think they have to be a lot more realistic uh, with their teenagers and young adults in terms of just telling them, look, like the most important predictor of human happiness for Americans today, this is based upon my research, is the quality of your marriage, um, which of course is predicated on being married in the first place, right? So like, I think telling young adults they should be thinking a lot more about preparing for marriage, you know, in the near future, um, recognizing that there is um, a kind of a shortage of you know, potential partners um, who would be good spouses. And so I think being a lot more open to, you know, um, dating seriously in college, for instance, and getting married in your early 20s, um, then a lot of parents might be inclined to, you know, they want their kids to wait. But I think they don't realize that today waiting might mean foregoing a good <laughs> option to, to marry. Um, so I think just being a lot more intentional about, you know, encouraging their young adults to to be thinking about marriage, looking for a good potential partner, um, and becoming the kinds of people who would be attractive as spouses, particularly, this I think is, you know, to their young men, you know, encouraging the young men not to waste time, um, you know, on Xbox and, you know, um, kind of, you know, flitting from one uh, job to the next in their early 20s, and just encouraging them to be a lot more intentional about getting us, you know, established educationally and and job wise and looking around for, you know, for a spouse. Okay. Really fascinating stuff. I saw it on your Twitter feed. Where can people connect with you, whether it's Twitter or through the Institute for Family Studies, where's the best place to, uh, for people to find you? Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at Brad Wilcox IFS. And then the family studies uh, site is uh, family-studies.org. And we've got new articles uh, Monday through Thursday on marriage uh, parenthood, dating, and all things family. All right, uh, Brad Wilcox, professor at University of Virginia. Thanks so much. I find this absolutely fascinating, and I agree. A little bit frightening as well. Yeah, it's sobering. Okay, fascinating stuff right there. You can just look up Institute for Family Studies for more information. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for making American Viewpoints part of your weekend. We'll talk to you again next week.